We're going to be looking at chapter 7, starting in verse 24. So here we are as a group of diverse people, maybe not all from north and south, east and west, but from various walks of life, gathered together as God's people. And I want to raise a question this morning, which I suspect that some of us have asked often and some of us have rarely, if ever, asked at all. The question is this. Do I belong here? Not me, but we ask ourselves, do I belong here? (laughs) Do I have a place here? Am I accepted? Am I acceptable? Am I on the inside? Or am I on the outside looking in? Some of us probably wonder if we really belong. We wonder if we're accepted, especially if people really knew who we were or what we'd done. Others of us probably never ask these questions. We take for granted that we belong, maybe for the right reasons or or maybe not. Well, today's story in God's Word explores these issues. It's a story about what Jesus Christ came to do and who Jesus came to do it for. It's a story about who belongs and by implication who doesn't belong or to use the image that Jesus uses in the story, who has a seat at God's table and who stands on the outside hungry. Today's story is a key passage in one of my favorite sections of one of my favorite books of the Bible, the Gospel of Mark. It's a section full of rich images and and careful structuring which bring out wonderful truth. And I have to say, I wasn't a fan of literature in high school. I was a math and science guy. I was one of the squares at the square dance. But... (laughs) I've come to love the wonderful artistic texture of the Bible. We put an outline of Mark 6 to 8 up there. I'm going to leave it up there. We're going to refer to it. Those of you who take notes will have plenty of time to copy it down if you want to. The theme of the whole section, this whole section in Mark, is the Passover. Passover is a time when the Jewish people put away the the unclean leaven from their midst to remind themselves that they are to be God's clean, pure people. And they also remember the exodus when God rescued them from their bondage in Egypt. In Jesus' day, Passover was also a time when God's people looked forward to a new exodus, when God would send his Messiah to rescue them again from their bondage. Passover was the only feast that was only for God's people, Gentiles, couldn't celebrate it unless they became circumcised and became Jews. It was for the clean and the holy, not for the unclean and the impure. Notice the structure of this section of Mark and how it picks up these themes. As is so often the case in Scripture, this, the structure here is a chiasm. The, the stories in the second half mirror the stories in the first half as you move to and from the center, which contains the main point. This section begins with the opposition of Herod, and it ends with the opposition of the Pharisees. 
followed by Jesus' warning to his disciples, beware of the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. As you move toward the center then, Jesus miraculously provides bread for 5,000. He does it again for 4,000. Echoing the first exodus from Egypt when God provided manna for his people in the desert. Then moving still closer to the center, we have a miracle which ends in the disciples not perceiving what Jesus had done. And we have a miracle where Jesus restores the perception of a deaf and a mute man. And then right at the center, we have two stories. Jesus first debates with the Pharisees about food that makes someone clean or unclean. And then in parallel to that, we have our story with its parable about who gets to eat the bread that the father gives the children. Also notice that after the the central part of this section, Jesus begins uh, extending the blessings of God's kingdom to the Gentiles. And yet even at the end of the section, the disciples still don't perceive what is going on here. So running through this section, we have themes about Jesus feeding um, people bread and about unclean leaven and about who's clean and who's unclean and about perceiving what's going on. And right at the heart of it is Jesus teaching about what really makes you clean and unclean, followed then by our passage this morning. As we dig into our story this morning, we'll see how all these strands come together. And what wonderful message Mark wants to communicate to us about Jesus. But basically, this whole section is about what God is doing in Jesus Christ and who gets to be included in it. This story reminds me, we're going to look now at our particular story, starting in verse 24, and it reminds me of my uncle's wedding. One of my uncles got married later in life when I was a teenager. He and my aunt-to-be had their wedding in their home, and she was raised in England, she was Jewish, and, and she had a real gift for hospitality. And she and her twin sister made most of the food for the reception. There was lots of great food. I, I remember particularly the tabbouleh and the trifle. I don't know why, but they were just delicious. A little bit of Jewish culture, a little bit of English culture. And, and the whole reception was very festive. And, and while we were celebrating at, at her house, the doorbell rang. It was uh, the, the delivery boy. And my aunt went and answered the door in her wedding dress. And before we knew it, this young guy was at the party in the living room with a drink in his hand. That's the kind of woman that my aunt was. And we discover in this story that that's the kind of person God is. Let's look at the story. If there was ever a person who didn't belong in church, it was the woman in this story. This woman is the epitome of an unclean outsider. Her first problem, of course, from the perspective of that culture, not from ours, thankfully, but from that culture, is that she was a woman. To say that women were second-class citizens back then would be an understatement. And not only was she a woman, she was a Gentile woman, a Greek Syrophoenician Gentile woman, to be exact. For Jews, of course, Gentiles were unclean and dirty. A good Jew would never enter a Gentile home or invite a Gentile into a Jewish home. Gentile dog was a phrase that Jews used to refer to non-Jews like this woman. 
And dogs in Jesus' day were by and large mangy, scavenging, unclean street dogs. They were in the same category as vermin. But not only was this woman a Greek Syrophoenician Gentile woman, she was also from the region of Tyre. And that was not a good place to be from. The wicked queen Jezebel had been from Tyre, if you know your Old Testament at all. And Tyre was well known for its wicked, debased pagan culture and religion. Add to that Jewish feelings toward the Tyrrhenians. As Josephus, the Jewish historian, put it, those from Tyre are notoriously our bitterest enemies. But not only was this woman a Greek, Syrophoenician, Gentile woman from Tyre, but also her daughter had an, un, an evil spirit. Literally, Mark calls it in verse 25, an unclean spirit. You might have a footnote in your Bible which points that out. There's that word again, unclean. Unclean, just to reinforce what sort of woman this is, what sort of family she has. Commentator James Edwards concludes, of all the people who approach Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, this individual has the most against her from a Jewish perspective. Verse 26 reads like a crescendo of demerit. She might as well have been the daughter of Jezebel herself. This woman absolutely did not belong. Jesus told her as much. She wanted, or he wanted to be alone. He'd entered a house secretly, hoping to, to uh, keep his presence a secret. But this woman barged in on him uninvited and fell at his feet, and she begged Jesus to drive this demon out of her daughter. And Jesus replied, First let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. In other words, I came for God's children, the Jews. You are a Gentile, a dog. God's bread is not for you, at least not yet. Now, this isn't what we expect from Jesus, is it? No. His reaction here seems rude and prejudiced and even demeaning. What's going on here? Well, some interpreters try to soften Jesus' response. They point out that Jesus actually calls this woman or her daughter a, a little dog perhaps more of a pet dog than a, than a mangy, scavenging street dog. Others suggest that Jesus didn't really believe that Gentiles were so bad, but he was just rehearsing the common Jewish conception of the day to test this woman. Well, I don't know that there's an easy answer to the, the puzzle of, of why Jesus talks this way to this woman. We don't know what tone of voice Jesus used, but we, what we do know is what happens next. And that is that this woman proves herself to be an astounding paradox. Because not only is this woman in a class of her own because of how spiritually unqualified she is to come to Jesus or to have a place in the work that God's doing through Jesus, but she's also in a class of her own in three other very different ways. First, she's in a class of her own because this woman is the only person in Mark's gospel to best Jesus in a debate. Jesus is the master debater, isn't he? Time and again, the savviest, brainiest, most learned religious experts come up to Jesus to trap him with their best questions. And Jesus always has the perfect comeback. Aren't you jealous? Don't, don't you wish? Oh, 
I wish I would have said something like that to so-and-so last week. He, he reduces everyone to silence. He, he makes them look like fools whenever he gets in a debate. But here in Mark 7, in the presence of this woman, for the first time and only time in all of Scripture, it's Jesus who's left without a comeback. Second way this woman's in a class of her own. This woman is the only person in Mark to understand one of Jesus' parables. Jesus' parables mystify everyone else. That's because according to Mark 4, 12, Jesus' parables are meant to conceal Jesus' purpose and identity from those on the outside and to reveal it to those on the inside. But even Jesus' own disciples who are insiders to the kingdom don't get Jesus' parables until he explains them to them. And in the section of Mark that we're looking at this morning, if you read through it, we see the disciples repeatedly fail to perceive who Jesus is and what he's doing. But not this woman. She immediately understands and she applies the parable that Jesus gives her. In fact, in this whole section of Mark about clean and unclean and insiders and outsiders and about who perceives and who doesn't, this Gentile woman right at the center of the section is the only one who perceives what's going on. Third way this woman is in a class of her own. This woman is the only person in Mark's gospel to call Jesus Lord. Read through the book of Mark. Now, granted, in the Greek language, Lord can mean simply sir or, or master. But the New Testament is always encouraging us to see in the title Lord its deeper and fuller meaning, the divine kingship of Jesus. And Mark doesn't report anyone else except this woman calling Jesus Lord. I think Mark is making a point that this woman gets it. Of all the people in the gospel story, it's this most unlikely, unworthy woman, this Greek, Syrophoenician, Gentile dog woman from Tyre whose daughter has an unclean spirit who recognizes Jesus and calls him Lord, who understands his parable and who bests Jesus in a debate. Jesus himself admitted that this woman was most unqualified to receive anything from God, and yet this Gentile woman proves herself to be otherwise. She gets from Jesus what she asks, and after this watershed moment, we see Jesus increasingly extending his ministry to Gentile regions. For as Jesus had just taught in the beginning of Mark 7, in the other pivotal story in this section, it's not what's on the outside and what goes into a person that makes them unclean. Rather, it's what's inside that comes out that makes someone clean or unclean. Evidently, this woman's got it on the inside. What a radical paradigm shift. The very tectonic plates of reality are realigning. Boundary lines between clean and unclean are being redrawn. Many who thought they were insiders are finding themselves on the outside, while many on the outside are now being invited in. So, as you sit here this morning at CBC, do you belong here? 
You may look around and see people who look like they belong, on the outside at least, far more than you do. They look comfortable here. Maybe they've been around here for a long time. They fit in. They live respectable lives. They know the religious talk. They can quote their Bibles. They can pray fluently. Maybe they're even in positions of leadership. But in reality, whether they belong more than you do depends entirely on who's in charge of this church. If Jesus is in charge, then we have to go by his criteria of who belongs. And Jesus' criteria has nothing to do with external religious or cultural measures of who is clean or unclean or worthy or unworthy or how long you've been at this Christianity business. Rather, Jesus' criteria has everything to do with the qualities that this pagan daughter of Jezebel demonstrates in this story. In the scandalous paradox of God's kingdom, this most unworthy woman becomes the teacher of the faithful. She demonstrates for us the, two quali- the true qualities of those who belong. In this woman, we see three qualities. First, she is hungry. Second, she's perceptive. And third, she's humbly bold. First, she's hungry. She's obviously in great distress about her daughter, and she hasn't been able to find any other cure for her daughter. And so as soon as she hears about Jesus, she runs in the house where he's staying, she barges in, and she falls down at Jesus' feet. Here she is, in Jesus' presence. She's trespassed where she knows she doesn't belong. She's broken all social conventions. She's intruded, uninvited, and unannounced into the private life of a very important person whom she already knew would despise her because of her religion and ethnicity. And she's dared to beg a favor of him. How many of you are that hungry? Well, before she'd only heard about Jesus, but now she's met him. She's at his feet. She's She's in Jesus' presence. Wow. How did she wind up here? Her hunger, her, her need, her desperation drove her. Had she not been hungry, it's likely that Jesus would have come to her neighborhood and left again, and, and she would have gone about her life and never even noticed. Are you hungry? Jesus has come to rescue us, to lead us on a new exodus, to redeem us from our bondage, to feed us with the bread of heaven, a bread that truly satisfies, that, that, that fills our hunger so that we're never hungry again. Are you hungry for it? This woman teaches us that the first quality of those who belong is that they're hungry. Hungry enough to beg and to scrap their way into Jesus' presence. Second, this woman teaches us that those who belong have perspective. Or, I'm sorry, that they are perceptive. This woman is perceptive. She gets what Herod the king and the Pharisees, the the religious experts, don't get. She gets what Jesus' own disciples don't get. She has eyes to see. She has ears to hear. She has a heart which understands what is actually taking place in the coming of Jesus. She perceives enough 
to come to Jesus in the first place. But then when Jesus tells her his little parable, she's able to perceive even more. First, let the children eat all they want. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Jesus has come to feed the children. The children eat first. Then perhaps if there are leftovers, they get tossed out to the dogs. Jesus has come from God to feed his people, the Jews. And after the Jews have been fed, if there's enough blessings left, the Gentiles may benefit as well. That much this woman can grasp right away. But we who have Mark's gospel and can stand back and look at the big story have the benefit of seeing even more because Mark is a masterful storyteller. He picks up an important phrase that Jesus uses in verse 27, and he makes a very important connection for us with it. Let the children eat all they want, Jesus says. Literally, the phrase reads, let the children eat and be satisfied. Eat and be satisfied. Where have we heard that phrase before? Well, if you go back to the feeding of the 5,000 Jews in Mark Six, Or if you go ahead to the feeding of the 4,000 in the Gentile Decapolis in Mark 8, you'll see the same phrase in both cases. All the people ate and were satisfied. God has sent Jesus to lead his people out of bondage on a new exodus. And along the way, he feeds his people. Jesus spreads God's banqueting table with the bread of heaven, the new manna, and he invites people to the feast. Are you hungry? This woman is hungry, and she has eyes to see that a feast is spread right before her. She looks at Jesus, she hears his word, and she understands in her heart that in Jesus, the bread of heaven has been placed on the table. And she teaches those of us who belong, or I'm sorry, she teaches those who, she teaches us that those who belong have spiritual perception. People who belong have eyes to see who Jesus really is and ears to hear and understand what he's calling us to. People, or I'm sorry, churches who belong are developing the ability to, to hear and to discern how Jesus is leading us and, and, and what he's wanting to do among us. Those who belong have perception, like this woman has. Third, this woman is, hold, is humbly bold, and she teaches us that those who belong are humbly bold too. I think if Jesus had responded to me the way he responded to this woman, I might have kind of slinked away. Jesus, will you heal my daughter? No, dog. Wait. It's not your turn right now. I'd have been humiliated or discouraged. Or maybe I'd have been angry. Greeks looked down on Jews as much as Jews looked down on Greeks. From a Greek perspective, Jews were uncivilized, unenlightened barbarians. This woman could have thought, how dare this Jewish barbarian talk to me, a civilized Greek like this. But this woman is humble. And she's also bold. Look carefully at how she responds to Jesus. Let me give you a literal translation of what she says to Jesus in, in Greek. Lord, 
Even the little dogs under the table eat the little crumbs of the little children. Notice that the woman doesn't debate or contest Jesus' statement. She humbly accepts who the children are and who the dogs are and who's being fed first. But yet she does boldly tweak Jesus' statement in two important ways. First, notice that she moves the little dogs under the children's table. Jesus, as a good Jew, wouldn't picture unclean dogs as being in the house among the children. Their place was out on the street where they roamed and uh, the table scraps might get tossed to them at the end of the meal. But a Greek woman culturally wouldn't just see it this way. She can conceive, much like we can today, of pet dogs under the table looking for any crumb that the children might drop as the children eat. This woman has moved herself and she's moved her daughter closer in to what God is doing. Not out in the street, but right under the table at the children's feet. Second, notice that the woman has changed Jesus' concept of leftover bread to a little crumb from the table. This woman will settle for a little crumb of the bread that the children are eating. Because she perceives that even a little crumb will be enough to save her daughter. Can you see what this woman sees? In Jesus, God is feeding his children. He's pouring out the blessings of heaven as he redeems his people, as he sets them free. And so powerful and so abundant are these blessings that even a little crumb is more than enough to change your life, to meet your needs. Wow. What perception this woman has. What boldness to come where she wasn't invited, to stay when she was brushed off, to rewrite herself into Jesus' parable, to claim a little crumb from God's table to meet her need. Because what God is doing in Jesus, the Lord, is so big, so powerful, so generous, that even a mere crumb is more than enough. Is that how you see Jesus? Is that how you see what he's come to do? If it is, then you belong. Jesus says, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your child. And she went home to find it just that way. Jesus can't resist spreading God's blessings to people who recognize how big and gracious and generous God's saving and restoring work is. He can't resist spreading God's blessings to people who are bold enough to ask for a small portion of that potent abundance for themselves. Jesus loves it when we ask boldly and expectantly. Because he knows then we've got it. We understand God. We understand what God sent Jesus to do. My kids have taught me a, a fair bit about relating to God this way. I remember one time when Josiah was just under two and he loved grapes. 
And one day, Ann and I were eating some grapes on the sly. <laughs> Josiah had already had more than his share that day. And, and giving him some grapes was a lot of work. He, we had to cut them all in half so that he wouldn't choke on them at that age. Well, Josiah discovered, of course, that we had grapes. He, he was always good at ferreting out what the treats were. And, and he started asking us for some. And, and we said no, but he just kept at it. Five or six times, he, he kept asking us. And we kept saying no. You've already had enough grapes. So undaunted, Josiah then, he climbs up onto his booster seat at the table. And he points to his bowl, which was still there on the table. And he says, grapes, bowl. (laughs) Just to make sure we knew where to put them. And then he sat there ready to dig in, looking at us expectantly. (laughs) It's not like we always gave in to him. But Josiah had the kind of boldness that we see in this passage. A boldness which does not easily take no as an answer from God. When we know full well God has got plenty of blessings to spare and even a little crumb will be enough. And Mark's story tells us that it's people with that kind of boldness who find a seat at God's table and come along on his new exodus. So here's the challenge for us, twofold. First is an attitude check. What's your attitude about who really belongs at CBC and who doesn't? Are you using Jesus' criteria to decide? If not, maybe you need to let Jesus adjust your attitude. Second challenge. If you're hungry like this woman... And if you can see what she sees in Jesus, then humbly but boldly ask. Ask Jesus to feed you. Ask Jesus to feed us as a church. Ask Jesus to feed your friends and your neighbors. Ask him to give us his bread and to bring more of God's work into your life and our lives.